Welcome to this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Bubba, it has been an active week on the day job. Rick, it has. After 31 years, we've announced we're ending our daily radio show at the end of this year. And uh, we still have a year of those to go and a year of podcasts to go here after the show. And, uh, man, you're talking about legends. We got one today. Oh, Vern Lundquist is with us. And we've been waiting on this opportunity. Vern, you don't know how long we've been waiting to interview you. So welcome to Rick and Bubba University. How are you, buddy? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Pleasure to be with you. You know, we're in the broadcasting business and have been, but we don't think of ourselves as broadcasters because we're not very professional. Right. And that's kind of been the way that we, uh, we've we always moved through the uh, the jungle of broadcasting uh, at very low expectations. But in your case, you have reached the top of the mountain. You have got to do SEC football. And I think for most people, it doesn't get any better than that. Uh, I would totally agree. Uh it, uh, when I got the call, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, back in 2000, actually, I got the call in 1999. <clears throat> excuse me, guys. Right. Uh, I've been with uh, CBS at that point since 1982. And in 99, I was the number two NFL guy. I was working with Dan Fouts uh, and, and life. No, I'm sorry, Dan Deardorff. There's too many Dan's in my life. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was with Dan Deardorff, and uh, I heard rumors from Lance Barrow, who was our golf producer and also was my producer for the NFL, that uh, uh, Sean McManus, the boss, chairman of the board, was thinking about making a change. And so uh, I became concerned about that, and I called Sean, and I said, I keep hearing this noise about uh, – you hiring Dick Enberg, who was very unhappy at NBC at the time. And Sean said, I, you know, if he's interested, we owe it to the company to investigate the, the possibilities because he's a Hall of Fame broadcaster, but he's a high ticket item. I can't imagine that we could afford him. So I thought, okay, fine. And then Sean paused and said, now in the unlikely event that we hired Dick Enberg mm. and put him in the NFL. How would you feel about going to the SEC? So I said the appropriate things. Uh, sure, you know, I'm uh, beholden to CBS. So I'll do whatever you need. And, uh, but I didn't want to do it, and Sean knew that. But uh, I hung up the phone, looked at my wife, Nancy. We were in the kitchen here in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. And I said, honey, pack your bags for Tuscaloosa. <laughs> <laughs> so you knew you, you felt you, you know, knew what was coming. But but you know, see if you it would be hard to put into words, and I acknowledge that before I ask this somewhat unfair question. But one of my sons uh, married a young lady uh, just back in September, and and she had never been to an SEC football game in her life. And uh, and my son, the one that got married, actually played in the SEC. And he told me, he said, I'm taking her to her first ever SEC football game. And, and it was a biggie, it, it, Auburn, Alabama, Iron Bowl. Uh, Hello. Uh, yeah, and, and so you, she tried to put into words what it was like. She said, I had no way to prepare myself. I honestly can't believe what I experienced. You've been to big game after big game after big game after big game. What is it that makes that league and that fan base so unique? Well, it means so much. You know, that's the slogan now that the FCC used. It just means more. 
but I think until you've experienced it, you don't realize the impact that that game has on the lives of people who live in the South or grew up in the South. Uh, I grew up in Austin, Texas. Uh, I was used to Texas, Oklahoma. Uh, I thought that was a big deal. Uh, it, and it, it is and was. Uh, I grew up on A&M in Texas. That's a big deal. I have done USC, UCLA. <clears throat> I've done Ohio State, Michigan. But I promise you, there's nothing compared to the Iron Bowl. Uh, you know, some silly, silly guy tried to poison the oak tree in, <laughs> at Auburn because he is, I think he told Paul Feinbaum, yeah. my heart was just so full of Alabama. Yeah. Too much Bama <laughs> Too much in me. Bama in Too me. Too much yep. Bama in me. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, 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 you know, the old legend is that if you're born in, in Alabama, you declare at birth yeah. one or the other. Yeah, you do. Uh, you're, you're either a, a roll tide or you're a war eagle. I, when I was doing the games, I retired from college football in 2016. But I'd get on planes in the South, and uh, some guy would come by and he'd say, roll tide. And I couldn't respond to that. Right. And then some <laughs> guy would come by and he'd say, war eagle. Well, I shut up again because huh? you're going to offend somebody. And uh, I learned <laughs> – I learned quickly that, but but it's not just the Iron Bowl. It's not just Alabama Auburn. I mean, Georgia has a passionate f- uh, uh, fan base, very passionate. Uh, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Florida, um, they all care. Sometimes too much. Yes, they Bernie, do. I, I'll tell you, it decides marriages in yeah. this state. And and I had a good friend of mine. We were talking about it not too long ago, and I had a similar experience. He said he was dating a young lady. Said she checked all the boxes. Uh, she her family were believers, and uh, you know it was a good family unit, and they got along. Everything was perfect, but. They were Alabama fans, and he was an Auburn fan. And he said that one day a year was such a difficult day for them. He ended oh. up breaking up with her and said, I've, "I've just I can't do it. I can't cross over and marry an Alabama person." And that was the part. That was the reason that he did not marry that girl. Good. <laughs> and that's real. Yeah. And you hear that time and time again. Yeah, I I know. I I I just. But until I had experienced it, I couldn't imagine. What what kind of loyalty do these folks have? Uh, as I said, Texas fans are passionate. Oh, you fans are passionate. By the way, uh, Texas know you are going to get a, a dose of adult reality. Yes, yes, they are. Uh, well, he, the meat grinder just keeps grinding. Yeah, well, it? I mean, wow, no off weeks. Well, you you guys were talking about. You know, Bo Jackson himself said in the documentary that ESPN did on him when they tried to get into his mind about the Iron Bowl. He said. Y'all were just, you know, they interviewed him in the Iron Bowl, you know, the documentary, not his documentary, the one about the Iron Bowl, the Auburn-Alabama uh-huh. fans, you know, the Roll Tide War Eagle. People got in a fight about which one the ESPN said first. Everybody got mad. because like, which one of us is going to be said first? And he said to ESPN, he said, y'all are just getting the tip of the iceberg and I won't use the language you use. He said, but it's a really large iceberg. <laughs> yeah, you're you're yeah. not even you're not even close. <laughs> and you remember the legend, Vern. I'm sure you heard it, and it was con- it was confirmed. The dad that didn't and mom that did not ap- uh, attend their own daughter's wedding because she got married on Alabama Tennessee. They got there for the reception, and when I, asked, when when they when they were asked about this, they said, "Well, she knew better than to put it on that day." 
yeah, you know those those anecdotes are wonderful and they're true. Sadly, uh, you yeah. got, I know you got to know a lot of the SEC coaches dealing with them behind the scene. Talk about yeah. some of those personalities and and uh, you know obviously. Nick Saban is the GOAT, wow. and, and he's proven that. But uh, I, And you may want to comment on him, but what about some of the other personalities over the years? Well, uh, I, I know Kirby Smart quite well as well. And and Nick and I, um, I, I really went outside the boundaries of proper journalism with Nick uh, because I did so many Alabama games, and he and I became friends. And uh, I treasure, I back up in the hallway, uh, I've got a, a picture that Nick arranged. My last game at uh, at uh, in Tuscaloosa, and uh, he had it set up, and I didn't know about it. But it's the two of us, uh, and I treasure that. Uh, uh, but Kirby Kirby is a great guy. Uh, I I loved Les Miles. Now he was cut from a different cloth. <laughs> I'm smiling because yeah. I'm wondering when he was at LSU and I was working with Tracy Wilson. She was our sideline gal. And we went to commercial and she asked Craig Silver, our producer, uh, do you have a, a steady camera on less? Uh, and if so, and well, we always do. You always have one camera designated to each coach. And she said, go back to the last, uh, last sequence of plays before we went to commercial. And Tracy is the one who found Less miles eating grass. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that could be at the top of her resume. And, and, the fact, Romo. and the fact he could do it on an artificial turf field. I thought that was impressive. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I, I, I so loved, uh, we'd go into those meetings on Friday with Les, and he was an entertaining guy. Uh, I can't go into the specifics, but. We asked him once about recruiting Cam Newton and why Cam Newton wound up at Auburn. And Les went into a tirade about the way recruiting works in the, in the South and it had to do with collection plates and how many $100 bills you put into the collection plate. <laughs> <laughs> of course, now that's perfectly legal. Yeah. Uh, but, you're right. You know yeah, you're right now. Uh, uh, holy cow. We all should have grown up in NIL for broadcasters. Right? I'm telling you. Uh, all right, we come back. More, more, more questions. I'm going to ask you a question we've talked about on the show. I don't think it'll surprise you. We'll get into some of the uh, memories of your stellar career when uh, our visit with Vern Lundquist continues on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. This is the Rick and Bubba Show. Watch more at blazetv.com slash Rick and Bubba. Rick and Bubba, Rick and Bubba. Vern Lundquist is with us. Uh, it's been long anticipated. So we talked about the SEC, and of course that's not all you you were part of, and you, we talked about that, but we'll get into other things. But we dealt with this on the show. Our show is syndicated, but it's based out of Alabama. And some of the guys on the team even uh, started doing a sports show. They even took this on one day and played back clips from you doing the game and this thing that Alabama fans think you don't like Alabama. And oh, God, yeah. I, I, where, did, where did that come from? I have no idea. I, but, but if you talk to Auburn fans, they think I hate Auburn. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, I blame Paul Feinbaum. <laughs> Don't we all? Yeah, well, he's easy to blame for a lot of stuff. Yeah. 
He's oh, I got to share a quick a quick anecdote from Von Baum. Uh, Gary Danielson, my former partner, uh, can be abrupt at times, to be mild. And and Feinbaum, of course, graduated in Tennessee, and Terry was doing an interview with the Knoxville Sentinel Journey, and he was asked about doing games at uh, at, uh, at in, in Knoxville, and was it special? And he said, "Oh, not really. It's just like any other uh, football stadium in the country." And Feinbaum went off on Gary <laughs> and said, "Well, we'll see now next year." how magic the environment is when he's doing games at Indiana University. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty well captured that. Yeah. Well, and and this is not going to help with this legend. I mean, I want you to know, they actually play clips, the guys on on our team, they play clips of you during the game of you complimenting Alabama over and over again, and it still didn't work. Uh, they were oh, try- no. they were trying to show that it was this was delusional, but I, I hate to bring up on the list of some of the incredible moments, and this is not going to help this. But you're retired now, so who cares? They can't get you now, uh, and that and that is the kick six. Uh, this this was uh, as crazy a day, and, and and I know that you were talking about why this is such a memory for you because. Auburn had back to back. We are not back to back. There was a game in between the two, but they had yeah. had the um, they'd had the the prayer in Jordan Hare, and right. then they had the kick to six. beat Georgia. Yeah. yeah, the same team that year, two big rivals, and you have that down as one of your your favorite games ever because I guess it something like that just doesn't happen uh, once in a lifetime. I guess. Well, we, we were we were doing Georgia Auburn, and uh, Nick Marshall was fourth and eighteen. And Nick Marshall, uh, fourth down 18 with, I don't know, less than a minute to go, or maybe a minute and a half. And he threw a Hail Mary. And the two uh, Georgia defensive backs went up, fourth down, knocked the ball down. Mm-hmm. But they, they tipped it. They went forward. Both of them did. Tipped it forward. And Ricardo Lewis made a made a heck of a grab. He reached behind him. He grabbed it and went in untouched. And, uh, and Georgia lost to Auburn. And we went on the ca- on camera at the end of the game, and Gary Danielson said, "That's the greatest finish to a college football game I have ever seen. You will never, ever, <laughs> ever see anything to equal that." Well, two weeks. Yeah, right. Two weeks, and uh, it's it's amazing the ties you make in 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 this sport, and particularly I think in the South. But of course. We all remember that uh, at the end of the Iron Bowl game in 2013, uh, Sammy Coates scored for Auburn minutes ago, something like that, tied up. You you forget that A.J. McCarron hit Amari Cooper with a 99-yard touchdown pass to open the fourth quarter. Anyway, uh, the running back, T.J. Yeldon, has the ball. He goes across the 40, uh, and he steps out of bounds and was there – one second left on the clock or no. And and uh, Matt Austin was the official. And Matt and I have become really, really good friends over the years. Uh, he had a granddaughter who graduated from University of Kentucky. So, uh, whenever Kentucky does well in basketball particularly, I hear from him. Anyway, after the, they asked, the, the replay booth said to our producer, Craig Silver, can you coordinate 
the game angle camera, and the end zone? Can you sync them up so we can determine exactly when his foot hit the ground? It took him seven minutes. And meanwhile, Gary and I are just trying to filibuster and do anything. <laughs> just fill the time. And finally, uh, Matt Austin came on and said, please put one second back on the clock. Well, Saban was irritated, to put it mildly, with his senior kicker, who was one for four with field goals and had had one blocked. So instead of sending him out, we thought they'd try Hail Mary. Right. They sent a red, redshirt freshman, uh, an immigrant from Poland, on the field to try a 57-yard field. And we all think, uh, matter of fact, if I look back over my shoulder in that corner of the office, it was a combination office and uh, entertainment room that I'm in. I've got a photograph of Chris Davis uh, autographed. And and uh, that's a... And, of course, he broke free and got a, got a couple of great blocks and uh, went into the end zone, touchdown Auburn. And I said, no flags. And I promise you guys, for that long, I looked back up the field and I thought, dear God, don't let there be any flags. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and then we only replayed. We waited about six minutes. for Steve Milton is our director, and he's just brilliant. You, you can see his work at Pebble Beach this, this weekend. Uh, Steve does college football and all of our golf. And he conducted a symphony for a minute and 21 seconds. Uh, Gary and I didn't say a word. We just let, let Steve do his work. And he was like an orchestra conductor. It was perfect. And then at the end of it, I just said simply, well, you might want to see that again. And we only showed two replays. And, and of course, Gary, Gary succinctly summed it up at the end because Alabama had their field goal protection team on the field. And so Gary, on the second replay or third or whatever it was, he said, well, no wonder they couldn't catch Chris Davis. There weren't athletes on the field. There were nothing but fat guys. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, boy. Uh, but did, did you realize with as much as you knew about football, because I think on, the, on a play like that, at first there's always that, that thought because it's one of the rare things that ever happens in football, and it's a rule that never comes into play. Did it dawn on you immediately, hey, this, he, he can score. They, they they can return this for a touchdown because I think some people start going. Can you do this? Is, yeah. You know, and and well, you... I, I I knew the rule. Yeah, uh, I did know the rule. Uh, so I was I was aware that he could score, but the likelihood that he would go a hundred nine yards right was uh, ridiculous. And then he got so many great blocks, and and uh, a couple of guys almost almost had a shot at him. But to Gary's point. They weren't athletes. They were nothing but fat guys. <laughs> and they're chasing. They're chasing Chris Davis. I think I heard that Chris Davis is coaching high school football. Yes. Yeah. Not yeah. too far from our studio. Yeah. Yeah. He, okay. uh, yeah. He played a little bit uh, when Chargers. When, yeah. One yeah. and plus. Yeah, with the Chargers. Yeah, and then even here, you know, we've had multiple spring pro leads. He was he was on one of those teams too for a okay. little while. But but now he's uh he's coaching and. Um, 
you know, he's forever etched in, uh, in not just Auburn football lore, but college football lore. And, and just well, and just to the rivalry of that game, you see that, and it was, uh, you know, a remarkable ending. And then you turn around this year, Vern, and you have another remarkable ending that goes the other way that almost defied odds. Yeah. Yeah. It's an amazing sport. It really is, and 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 you got to call so many incredible games. Not not just football. We'll we'll talk yeah, about. Yeah, we got to talk about all these it, other it, things it, you we'll, do. We'll, we'll talk more about that. We of course know you saw you the most doing college football, but you you have done some some other incredible calls. And we'll jump back and we'll continue our conversation with Vern Lunquist when Rick and Bubba University the podcast continues. So let's talk about Patriot Mobile. Patriot Mobile, uh, Bubba, you and I have been at this a while. You might have heard about that. Uh, but one of the things we hear a lot from, from the audience is it just frustrates me to know that I need a service and I feel like I'm giving my money to companies that do not represent my worldview and they stand for things that I oppose and, and I don't know what else to do because I don't have any choices. Well, here's good news. Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless provider, and I mean the only one, uh, Patriot Mobile offers dependable nationwide coverage, giving you the ability to access all three major networks, which means you get the same coverage you've been accustomed to without funding something you may not agree with. Uh, when you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're sending the message that you support things like free speech, uh, religious freedom, the sanctity of life, Second Amendment, uh, holding our military and our, our veterans and our first responders, holding them up as heroes. Uh, it's a 100% U.S.-based customer service team, make, making switching very easy. You want to keep your number? You can do it. Uh, you can keep the phone you got? Fine. If you want to upgrade, you certainly can. Their team will help you find the best plan for your needs. So why don't you just go right now to patriotmobile.com slash rickbubba. Put that together. patriotmobile.com slash rickbubba. Don't put an and in there. Just put our names together. Or you can call 972-PATRIOT. Get free activation when you use the offer, uh, the code Rick Bubba. Uh, join us and make that switch to Patriot Mobile today. Vern Lundquist is our guest on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. We talked a lot of college football, but Bubba, uh, th- that's not all that Vern is known for. I mean, legendary calls, multiple sports. We've talked football. Let's talk a little bit about basketball. You made one of the most legendary calls when, uh, when Duke defeated Kentucky. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I I kind I kind of remember that game too. <laughs> uh, March twenty eighth, nineteen ninety two, the Spectrum in Philadelphia, uh, and and uh, Bill Raftery and I, Bill Bill might be. Oh, sorry about that That's guy. All right. Just say hello. Burns getting the call. Yeah, uh, he's yeah. in demand. It's probably it's favor. You you this is Christy Fairfax. She and her husband Steve are coming for dinner tonight. Oh, good! So everybody in the South knows that. Yeah, yeah. For a minute, I thought it was Paul Feinbaum, so that's good. <laughs> and we used to work with Paul too, yeah, so we we're did. we're very familiar with him. Yeah. Okay, Gary. Gary, I'm I'm going back to. Uh, apparently, I had a bad game at Alabama, which happened periodically, and uh, and I misidentified a couple of guys. And boy, the callers were going nuts and <laughs> on Fine Bob's show. And he was built, still based in Birmingham then, I think. And Gary called me and he said, uh, You better be heads up because you're getting crucified. <laughs> I said, Okay, duly warned. Been I'll there. put the arm. So, 92, 
uh, we got Kentucky and Duke. You you were fortunate enough to be in the spectrum and call that game. Yeah. Well, to go backward, uh, Raft and I, Raft's probably the best friend I've got of all the partners I've had over the years. Uh, Billy and I are in touch at least once a year. Uh, and and uh, so we worked back-to-back games in 1982, uh, the second of which was Marquette at South Carolina, featuring this junior All-American guard named Doc Rivers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And Doc and I, well, I went to TNT. I'm, I'm digressing here, but uh, Doc and I are still very close friends. I went to TNT when we lost the NFL in '94, and I was there for three years, primarily basketball. I did uh, my my three three partners: Chuck Daly, uh, Dream Team coach, mm-hmm. uh, Danny H, and then Doc for two years. Anyhow, uh, Raft and I worked together. Back-to-back weeks in 82, we got calls from New York, and they said, you guys are really sounding good together. We can't wait to hear you again. 17 years later. (laughs) 17 years. So that's why when 92 came about, uh, uh, Jim Nance was working with Billy Packer. They were in Lexington. And I worked for Lenny Elmore. And we had this you you always hope you go to a, a game and you hope something memorable breaks out. And in my case, I've had great fortune. Uh, memorable things have broken out. And then the challenge is that to be verbally adept enough to complement what happened uh, on the field or the court and and uh, add add to the people's understanding of it. And in that case, uh, Lenny and I did the game and. Uh, uh, it ended with, you know, Leitner, Christian Leitner, whose own teammates couldn't stand him, by the way. Right. I was about to say, nobody liked him, not even his own team. No. And he should have been kicked out of the game uh, midway through the, the second half. Uh, he wrestled, got into a wrestling match with a tall Kentucky sub named Aminu Timberlake. And, and Leitner planted his size 14 right in the middle of uh, Timberlake's midsection. Wow. Should have been ejected, but wasn't. Uh, anyway, he was a great player, miserable human being. And, and, uh, <laughs> big fan. <laughs> uh, he, he was, he was something special. <laughs> he made, Bill, he made Bill Lambeer like a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> and Rick Horn, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Forget the bad boys. Uh, any, anyway, uh, he just had a, uh, he had a perfect game. Yeah. And at the end of the, at, at the end of the, uh, the, the game, uh, a kid named Sean Woods hit a bank shot over Leitner with 2.1 seconds left. And they called, uh, you know, Duke immediately called timeout. And Shashevsky in the huddle said, okay, we got 2.1. Uh, Grant Hill, can you make the pass? 70 feet and and uh, he grant said yes sir i can because they had tried it against wake forest earlier in the year same play and he put too much spin on the ball and went out of bounds so that was the question number one christian can you catch the ball he said yes and it was perfect play uh, rick patino chose not to guard the inbound pass and uh, and leitner had the presence of mind to know 
that he could take a step to the right and then turn around and hit the jump shot. And he did. And it's still regarded as one of the best college basketball games ever played. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, I was working with Lenny and Bob, uh, oh gosh, Boston Globe. Oh, great, great. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm having a senior moment here. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he came over to us and, and uh, I'm, I'm going all over the lot here with this, but <clears throat> when the game ended and all the hubbub ended on the floor, Mike Krzyzewski did one of the classiest things I've ever seen. Instead of going over to Bob Harris, the Duke radio broadcaster, and going on his show live, Mike peeled off and went back and went to the Kentucky broadcast booth because Kaywood Ledford, Ledford was winding up a 39-year career as one of the great radio broadcasters ever for any university. And Mike wanted to salute him and thank him for what he had meant to college basketball. So Krzyzewski went on his show first. Uh, Lenny and I were working with Leslie Visser, a Hall of Fame sideline reporter and, and still a great friend. We had her stationed 20 feet from okay with the last six minutes of the game and all the overtime to tell his story. Uh, the game was so compelling, she never got on the air. But uh, it, it still holds up. And, and one more thing about that. <clears throat> uh, Grant's mother and dad were great, great friends of mine, Calvin and Janet. Calvin had been a number one draft pick of the Cowboys yep. out of Yale in 1969. And we were good friends, and I was doing local television at WFAA-TV in Dallas. And uh, I knew that Janet was expecting. And I said, uh, Calvin, when she gives birth, would you call me? I'd like to announce it on the 10 o'clock news. And he did on Friday, October 5th, 1972. He called and he said, uh, Janet gave birth this morning to Grant Henry Hill. So we announced that on Friday night, October 5th. That Sunday, the Cowboys were playing the dreaded Pittsburgh Steelers. And, uh, and, and Calvin, with a minute to go in the game, Calvin took a toss from Roger Staubach, rolled right, pulled up and hit a halfback pass 50 yards to Ron Sellers, a diving wide receiver. Cowboys won 17-13. In my mind, because Calvin and Janet were sitting right behind the Duke right. bench, in my mind, here was their son, six-foot-eight sophomore, whose birth I had announced 20 years prior to that, completing the basketball equivalent of the 50-yard pass. Wow. And hitting, hitting the receiver right in the hands. Mm -hmm. And uh, I told that story at a symposium that, that Grant and I were on with Steve Smith, the Michigan State basketball player, and, and Raftery. And he said, I didn't know that. And I said, well, yeah, yeah. Your dad called and I announced your birth. And the next day he said, I talked to my mom last night. You weren't lying. <laughs> so he thought you might. He, he, he needed to hear that firsthand, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, that game, and I, I don't know if you remember when Gordon Hayward almost rimmed out from midcourt. I think they were playing Duke, Bradley and uh, Duke. Anyway, it it bounced off the rim because had that had that that shot gone in, 
that would have become the greatest finish to a basketball game ever. But those of us who who like a sense of of ownership, yeah, were 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 quite pleased. Yeah, I, I never thought of it from an announcer's point of view. You want to have these these moments because that the, sure. to be able to call them is is what yeah. is what we all we all hope for. It's what you live for. I mean, fans yeah, are out it. there and their their lives are depending on it. You're like, I sure hope there's no flags. I want to keep that one. I sure hope that goes in. <laughs> you know, and then you're well, thinking, I'm glad that guy missed. Rick, Rick, Bubba, we all have egos, right? We wouldn't be in this business if True. we didn't. Sure. There's a certain degree of narcissism <laughs> that you try to control. Sometimes you're not capable of doing it, but. Uh, yeah, I think you want to be proud of your work. And, and as I said, you hope that you can come up with something that complements what's, yeah. what's going on. Well, I, yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying I'm a, I'm a sports announcer, and I hope I get an opportunity to announce some of the greatest games in sports history. I mean, I, that, 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 I think everybody understands that. And, Vern, yeah. we, we haven't even, even begun to talk about your golf history. Oh, yeah. And the fact that you are a movie star. Oh my goodness! <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who the hell is Happy Gilmore? Right, let me tell you something. <laughs> that, what a line that, that will live on. Yeah. Do you remember? Did you? Is that was that improv, or did they actually write that for you and say, "Here's what we want"? No, to it was it was improvisational. Uh, we uh, now now you're going to give me sidetracked here, but I think it's a nice anecdote. Uh, I filmed all the scenes in uh, Happy Gilmore in which I was involved. In one day, we shot them at Vancouver, British Columbia, and I was flown up, and and uh, uh, of course Adam Sandler was still there, the star of the show, and and uh, the director of the movie was also the P- PGA commissioner in in the movie. His name is Dennis Dugan, and we gathered at seven o'clock in the morning uh, for the scenes. They had rented a vacated hospital building. And I saw Adam Sandler shoot a scene, but they had hired, they built the, the golf announce booth and they had extras walking back and forth. And at seven o'clock, Dennis Dugan said, let's have a little fun for us. Let's do a sight gag. Nobody will know this. Right. And he looked at this handsome guy named Jack Jaraputo. And he said, Jack, I want you to go to makeup. Get, get made up and no wardrobe. And I want you to sit next to Vern in every scene, but you cannot say a word because you are not a member of the Screen Actors Guild. Funny. So this handsome guy sits next to me and nods. And, and it turns out that Jack Jarputo was Adam Sandler's roommate at the New York University School of Film. And you had and no idea. Do what? You had no idea. Oh, no. Yeah. No, I didn't know who he was. Uh, matter of fact, I'm looking back here. I've got a picture with Jack and the, the caddy and Adam Sandler and all of them. Uh, but that movie, uh, you know, it, it came and went in theaters and didn't make a dent. But then it got on cable television. And USA 
still plays it once a day. I still get <laughs> I get residuals. <laughs> when that check comes in, you look down and go, you know what? That that line's still paying yep, to this yep. day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Every quarter. Mine is about seven dollars and thirty-eight cents. <laughs> but it's so good to see it coming in. Isn't it? Yeah, we'll come back. Oh, yeah. We'll finish our conversation <laughs> with Vern Lundquist. When Rick and Bubba University, the podcast continues. Vern Lundquist is our guest. We are having a great time. We got a few more minutes with him. Vern, you you you've told us all these wonderful historic moments. And, and you're looking around, is this something you wanted to do from a kid? Uh, where did this love, where, how did this happen? When, when did you know you wanted to do this? Uh, <laughs> I graduated from college, Texas Lutheran University, uh, with a degree in sociology and a minor in history, and no clear idea what the heck I could do with that. My dad was a Lutheran minister, and so I thought, what the heck? Uh, I grew up in a minister's home. Uh, I was comfortable with that lifestyle. I thought I'd try it. So I actually enrolled in the Lutheran School of Theology. And I have 18 hours of credit still. I resolved I was going to stay one year. But I knew six weeks in, I did not have the commitment that's necessary for that kind of lifestyle. And I had I had landed a summer, well, it turned into a, a, a late night, music show on WOC in Davenport, Iowa. And uh, I moved, I played music from nine to midnight every, every Monday through Friday and then got up and, you know, worked on a kitchen crew in the morning. Anyway, I knew that I, I wasn't destined for that life. And I applied for a job in my hometown in Austin and long story cut really short. Uh, I was given a weekend sportscaster's job, uh, that led to uh, a full-time job. I was in Austin for three years, hometown. Thought I got to get out of here. It's too comfortable. Went to San Antonio for a year, wound up in Dallas. And that was really the linchpin for everything, uh, getting to Dallas. It was a top 10 market at the time and, and uh, landed a job with the Cowboys. And that led to ABC initially and then ultimately CBS. But like anybody else's career, it's one of these. Yeah. You know, it's a roller coaster. And um, in 1982, I was called uh, ABC Chuck Howard and got the proverbial, we're moving in a different direction. And uh, so I, uh, Nancy and I had just got married. Uh, I thought my chance at working for a network is over. And I had a chance to go to CBS minimally. My initial contract with CBS was six football and two basketball. And then I got a call. It went very well. Got a call from Frank Chukinian, the executive producer of golf. And he said, I like your work. Have you ever done golf? And I said, yes, I have. He said, good. You're going to start with us. And that really was the key to everything that happened at CBS. Um, that those initial six tournaments, including Pebble Beach, as a matter of fact, and Augusta, uh, that the initial uh, assignment turned to 17 uh, golf tournaments that first year. And I, I became a regular on the golf tour and was for 12, 15 years. And I'm going to wind it all up in April uh, doing the Masters for the 40th time. Wow. Wow, 40. 
That is incredible. Yeah. So that will be your last then? Yeah, it's uh, it hasn't been publicly stated. Now it has. Now it has. It's you heard it here. here we first. go. We breaking yeah. news. It's it's yeah. Sean Sean McManus is my boss, and a couple of years ago, he was the one who uh, in 2016 thought, you know, let's make a nice transition uh, out of football. And my last game was Army Navy uh, in Baltimore, as a matter of fact. Uh, and in 2017, he said, what do you think? So that was my last year doing college basketball. And then, thank heaven, he said, uh, we need you on golf still. Not full-time. But I'm, initially, I was doing PGA and, and uh, the Masters. And then two years ago, he said, uh, what do you think about 2024? And I thought, I'm 83. The last thing in the world I want to do is make a mistake on the air. Last thing in the world I want to do. So it's, you know, it, once you see 80 in your rearview mirror, uh, you begin short-term memory issues. Honest to God. Sure. Oh, uh, We understand and, that. <laughs> uh, so I thought that makes sense to me. So, yeah, Augusta will be in, in April will be the last one. Well, you heard it here. So Saban is retired. Mm-hmm. Burns going to retire. We're shutting down uh-huh. the Rick and Bubba show. What's happening? I mean, can people well, the, take all this? I the mean, field I, is wide open, uh, guys. I mean, so <laughs> we we've got about four minutes. Vern, of all the sports, and this may be an unfair question. I'm sure you've gotten this one. When you, you you're a play by play guy, which which is wow, that you got to be ready to go. And there's a lot going on. Which sport is the most difficult to do as a play by play guy? Basketball. Uh, no golf, really. Really, uh, bas- basketball can be, and I'll tell you why golf because you better know the lingo, you better know the jargon, you better know the rules, and you can slip up. Boy, can you slip up! Uh, and it happened to a guy who's still a close friend of mine, and I'm not going to mention his name, but he had the clout back in the '80s to work at Augusta once, and he did the 14th hole. And Seve Ballesteros was leading the tournament on a Sunday afternoon, <clears throat> four-shot lead, and 14's a dogleg to the to the left, slight dogleg. And Seve hits a big drive. He's got 105 yards left with pitching wedge in his hand, and there's a commotion, and we had a nice tight shot on like this, handheld camera guy. And there's a commotion behind two of the trees, and Seve looked up and said, Four, please. And our poor, unfortunate announcer said, well, he's changed his mind. He's asking for his four iron. Mm. That ball would have been rising as it went over <laughs> Washington Boulevard. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, you know, that's just it. But now I'll give you a challenge. Try figure skating. Mm. You, uh, no. I, I, have you done that? Nancy and Tanya. Oh, you were in the middle of all that. With Scott Hamilton, right in the smack dab middle. <laughs> oh, my gosh. My... Yeah. I did three Winter Olympics with Scott. Uh, Alberville, France in 92. Uh, Lola Hummer with Nancy and Tanya in 94. And Nagano, Japan in 98. And Scott and I, we're still very, very close friends. That's, that's a wonderful thing about this business. You can make friendships that, that sustain you for a lifetime. I was in touch with Scott just two weeks ago. 
Uh, he's living with his wife and, and four kids in uh, suburban Nashville. And, uh, uh, but yeah, I, uh, and I thought figure skating, I live in a ski resort for God's sake. <laughs> right. Figure skating. And my wife said, you're going to love it because you love music of all sorts. You love athleticism. And I truly did. And the wonderful thing about doing the Olympics, and I always wanted to do an Olympic telecast because of my enormous respect for Jim McKay as a storyteller. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think that's essentially what we are. Uh, you know, uh, names and numbers and down the distance and all that is important. But you, you need to give the viewer a reason to care about the game. And you do that by telling stories about the athletes or the coaches of the schools. So, uh, and McKay was the greatest storyteller ever. But because I admired him so much, I wanted, I got to work with Jim for two years. What a, what a pleasure. Sideline reporter for the North American Soccer League. Vern, I mean, it, it, and 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 Jim was the famous uh, one that gave the line to victory. Uh, the let's see, what was it? The the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. He called that, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. No, that was McKay. He wrote that down on the back of a napkin. Wow. Well, Vern, uh, and he he was extraordinary. Now, do you know? Maybe you don't. Jim McKay's real name is Jim McManus. Okay, did not know son, that. Burns just shooting out all kinds of stuff right now. He's just throwing out all kinds of stuff right now. I mean, he's uh, he's announced he's done it with the Masters. He's throwing out Jim McKay's real name. Uh, Burns, we, we have not we've not got down the list of things we want to talk about halfway. Can we get you back again? Yeah, and do we, another edition. Yeah, we're out of time on this, but I'd love to have you come back again. Sure, we can do that. We'll get that booked in the very near future. Well, Vern, thank you for taking time to be with yeah. us today. It meant the, meant the world to You're us. You're a legend, and thank you for sharing time with us. And thanks for all the great calls you've given us and, and that we will always have. And thanks for being with us on this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast.